Voices for Justice is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Sarah Turney, and this is Voices for Justice. Last time on Voices for Justice, we discussed Alyssa reporting having sex with our father to his new girlfriend, and a call to Child Protective Services that elicited some pretty bizarre reactions from our father. We explored an essay in which our father names the Electrical Union as the target of a violent plan he was concocting, and I left you with our cousin David finding something in our home that would haunt him for the rest of his life. In this part of the episode, we will continue to explore the years leading up to Alyssa's disappearance, including a major incident that I believe is vital to this story. But right now, we're going to pick up right where we left off in part one with my cousin David. I was sleeping on a couch, and I remember your dad had like a whole ton of videotapes. And I came home, I was working at the Sands Club at the time. I had different hours, you know, and I came home, and... uh and your dad had like uh, hundreds of video tapes. I mean, it, it, and they were, you know, tapes that uh, they were on blank tape, but they had different, uh, you know, videos on them, like Dr. Doolittle or whatever, going to the videotapes. And I saw this Dr. Doolittle tape. And I said, okay, cool. And I put it on. I remember seeing like the, the kitchen or like a, not, I don't know if it's a kitchen or like a dining area, or not a dining area, but like a den. It was like, it, it was familiar to me. I remember seeing it. And the next thing I see, it, it, the camera pan, and then there was a, a, a couch right there, and there was nothing on the couch, and then all of a sudden, the image stopped, and then there was a, a, a girl, you know, uh, uh, appeared on the couch. And there was a girl with long, straight blonde hair, you know, not real long, but, you know, like size, you know, the, the, the length of your sister's hair, Liz's hair. And, and she had, uh, uh, she was nude, you know, uh, she had no shirt on, but she had shorts on and she was laying on the couch, uh, but she, uh, her arms were on the side, but she had a newspaper uh, that was covering her eyes, but you could see clearly her nose and the top of her head, but you still see her hair, but it was covering her eyes, but you could see her nose and her mouth and her jaw, you know, um, and, and I already knew, I mean, it was obviously Alyssa. You could tell by the profile that that was her, you know. I mean, it was, and I and I was like totally shocked thinking, what the, you know, F is going on here? And, you know, and it, it, she was nude. It was, it was, you know, and I'm like, oh my God. And it was just totally eerily quiet in the video. I just, that's all I remember. It was so eerily quiet. And, you know, and I, I just started, I, I went, uh, Fast forwarded, and then there was another scene where there was this girl, another girl, and she looked like the, this friend of Melissa's. I remember, disliked her. Um, I remember, I don't remember her name to save my life, but she had uh, uh, like uh, a brunette hair, um, and I, it was sort of semi curly, not curly curly, but you know, like wavy or whatever. And she was uh, well-developed, you know, for a kid that age. I mean, because she was just a, a kid, you know, just like Alyssa was, you yeah. know, a, a baby. 
you know, but well-developed. And same circumstance. She was nude atop, uh, but she had a magazine over her eyes. And, the, you know, her nose was uh, exposed and her jaw and her mouth. And she had a pair of shorts on and she was laying, you know, on uh, on the couch. And, uh, and her arms were on her side. And, you know, then I, I knew that was her friend. It had to be because, like, it's the only person I could think it was. And, again, it was really quiet and I had enough. I stopped the tape. And I left the tape in the VCR. I remember doing that. I didn't, I, I didn't know what you know, the to do. All I remember is what I did was I got your brother's car took off. And that's that that was it. I didn't I didn't call your dad, I didn't say anything to your dad. Uh, in fact I didn't show up till your guy's place till like three days later. I just handed I, I went in fact went into your your nobody was home. Your dad was laying in bed and I couldn't even look your dad in the eye. And I, I just, I went in there and I surprised your dad was scared because you're laying in bed and I took the key and I said, here's your key. I said, I have to leave. And I couldn't even get all my stuff. I remember that. And I, uh, uh, I left. And I called Nanny and, and Norma. I was telling Nanny what I saw and found, I didn't know what to do. You know, I was, uh, you know, I, I wanted to, I, 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 you know, I was hoping that maybe they would call, you know, you know, your dad and find out what's going on, you know. And I, I you know, I didn't want to rack him out to CPS, and I should have done that. I really, I really, I hate myself for not doing that. I, I really do. And I, to this day, I hate myself for not doing that because, um, you know, I, this all could have probably could have been prevented. Maybe, you know, all of this, if I would have stepped up and done something. And I hate myself for not doing that. You know, and I, I told Aunt Norma, uh, and Annie was upset about it, and she didn't want to talk too much about it with me. But and Norma and I talked about it quite a bit on the phone, and she told me straight up that they, they had both thought that your dad was doing something inappropriate with the whistle, you know. Wait, and, but they uh, did think that? Yeah, they did. Okay. I didn't know what to do. I was hoping that maybe they would call CPS, you know, and I, I just wish to God I did something, you know, uh, but, you know, I, and the next thing I know, you know, I was with my brother, and I, I couldn't face your dad after that or call him. I really, I couldn't do it. You know, it broke my heart, you know, and, and what broke my heart worse was the fact that I, you know, I, 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 you know, being a cop too, I was in law enforcement, you know, um, you know, I, I was a cop in the army. I was also a cop, uh, you know, uh, briefly on the outside, you know, and I, you know, I knew what to do and not to do. And I didn't do it all because of the attorney name. Unfortunately, this videotape was never recovered, and no other witnesses were present to view it. But when I spoke with my Uncle James, we talked about David's story, and he told me that he was aware of this incident and remembers hearing about how David called our aunt and grandmother to report it. And my Uncle James even says he remembers hearing about another tape featuring Alyssa having sex with our father and another adult female. 
And according to David and our Uncle James, when David reported what he found, our aunt and grandmother were not shocked, but more concerned that the family secret was finally going to be let out. In addition to these alleged tapes, it appears that our father was also hiding video cameras in some pretty intimate spaces in our home. In fact, when I started interviewing people that knew Alyssa, I seemed to be the only one who didn't know how common and invasive the videotaping of her had become. Eventually, I would find out about a hidden camera in our vent in the living room used to spy on Alyssa when she got older, but apparently the cameras were in the vents all along, and there were more than I thought. Alyssa's friends and even Mrs. Boardman talk about the cameras, and my mother's best friend Linda confirms it too. And I found out recently, I found out yesterday, that Alyssa knew about the camera in the vent too. Um, so Alyssa she was, knew about all the cameras. Yeah. Were there more? Yeah, there was camera in the vent, there was camera in the bedroom. There was a camera in the kitchen area. See, her friend told me yesterday that Alyssa thought that there was a camera in her bedroom, but I hadn't heard that until yesterday. It was in the vent. In addition to all these witnesses who remember the cameras in the vents, I actually have a statement directly from our father that was recovered from a phone call with the police. He says, quote, With Alyssa, I went too far. I was monitoring phone calls. I had some cameras in the ducts, you know, in our living room and things, and that was probably going too far. As Alyssa and I started getting older, everything started to get more intense. There were more arguments, more yelling, more doors slamming. So I stayed away. I locked myself in my room. I listened to music, I was reading, I was watching scary movies, anything to get my mind off of them fighting. But because I stayed away, I saw very little from this time. And unfortunately, Alyssa didn't confide anything in me. So again, I called on Alyssa's friends to fill in the gaps. In this part of the episode, you will hear from a new witness and one of Alyssa's best friends, Charity. Charity and Alyssa met in 1999 when Alyssa was in ninth grade. Here's Charity talking about what she remembers from this time. Um, So yeah, I met her at the party and... Um, of course, I remember her being very just open and outgoing, and um, she, I, I want to say that she wanted to stay the night that night. Um, hi, I want to be best friends. Hi, I want to be best friends, and that's exactly what it felt like, and actually, it was a little off, off-putting for me at yeah. first, because she came around, and she stayed the night, and it was okay, but then she would be like, can I stay the night again? And um, I'd be like, yeah, okay, you know, and then she'd be like, can I stay a night again? And at first it felt like, wow, don't you want to go home? You know, because yeah. um, I used to think how, you know, I could not stand to be away from home for too long myself just to be in your own bed. You know, I was that way too, fact, yeah. Yeah, for the simple fact of just being in your own bed. But um, she always wanted to be around and eventually she just really, truly grew on me. You know, she was wonderful. She was so sweet, so funny. Like, I don't think there was ever a time where we weren't just laughing constantly. Um, But yeah, I met her at a party, and the rest was history. I mean, did Alyssa ever talk about the surveillance to you, or how she felt? I mean, you said that she felt watched. She felt watched. Um, She felt like there wasn't much that she could do that, you know, he wouldn't find out. She would do things like she wouldn't keep her letters because she wouldn't want him to find them in her room. She wouldn't have conversations on the phone because she would be afraid that, you know, he would hear whatever was happening in that conversation. So we never, we hardly ever talked on the phone Yeah. for any length of time about it, you know, anything 
important to us at the time. Um, it may have been just like, hey, you know, what are you wearing tomorrow? Yeah, you know, something yeah. like that, but never would have any conversations on the phone. Um, and she did talk about having cameras in the vents. Um, so she, she knew. She knew. Okay. And she even believed that he had one in her bedroom vent at a point. Um, yeah, she she totally knew about all of that. Um, so, yeah, she did talk about that a lot. She talked about how, you know, she didn't feel comfortable at home or um, able to have a conversation on the phone. You know, think of yourself as a 16-year-old kid or, you know, 15, 16, through all that time and just not be able to call your friends and have the most ridiculous conversations about the stupidest stuff because that's just, you know, what you do. Yeah. Well, she had no outlet, you know. Right. She had no way to, like, connect with her peers, you know, the people that help you deal with, you know, all the lessons you're learning as you're growing up. And, you know, yeah, you might be making some stupid choices and yeah, your friend might be on the other line going, yeah, your dad's dumb, you know, but you need that. You need that type of interaction with your peers. It's part of growing up. It's part of, you know, how a teenager copes. And she really didn't have that. She didn't have the ability to, you know, get on the phone and just talk to anybody about whatever she was going through. When I spoke with Charity, I specifically asked her about Alyssa's behavior. And like all of Alyssa's other friends would state, Charity confirmed that Alyssa's behavior in no way warranted any of our father's controlling behavior. When I asked Charity what her and Alyssa would do when they were together, she said it was just the typical teenage stuff. You know, she would she would ask for permission to do the things, the normal things that we were all doing to, you know, whatever, go to the mall, go to the movies. You know, we weren't, we weren't trying to do anything crazy, really. Like, yeah. you know, we smoked a little bit of pot. We, you know, went to the mall once in a while. You know, we hung out with friends. We walked around the neighborhood. Like, we didn't do anything, and there wasn't really anything for us to need permission for. Um, what was just odd about her rules is just the restrictions that she had on who she could be around, you know, the ways that she could communicate with them privately. Um which back then there weren't a lot of ways. No, you, you wrote letters, you maybe had a beeper, and you saw each other at school or, you know, in the neighborhood. Um, even at our ages then, you know, probably 15 and 16, we just wasn't, we weren't really getting into any kind of trouble besides maybe smoking a little bit of pot. Yeah, it wasn't piercings, it wasn't tattoos, it wasn't no. fake IDs, it wasn't no, obviously we're not, robbing liquor stores. Like, Yeah, we're not trying to, you know, break into clubs. You know, underage, we're not trying to do anything besides hang around the house, watching funny movies, yeah, scary movies, whatever, and, you know, just being each other's company. Despite things seeming like a pretty normal relationship between Alyssa and Charity, our father did not like them spending time together. In fact, he disapproved of it so much that he even drafted a contract this one for Charity's parents in order for Alyssa to attend Charity's birthday party. For privacy purposes, I'm omitting their last name. The police report reads, this is a one-page, unsigned contract referencing Alyssa Turney attending a birthday party at Charity's house. It is dated for July 18, 1999. It reads, Regarding the parents of Charity providing continuous adult supervision from Saturday, July 18, 1999, until July 19, 1999. 
at approximately 2 p.m. during their daughter's birthday party to ensure Alyssa M. Turney will be in an alcohol, drug, and sex-free environment. I, blank, will provide the following environment for Alyssa M. Turney during the period of time she is under my supervision. 1. No alcoholic beverages. 2. No illegal drugs, substances, etc. 3. No male children, young adults, and or adult males other than the parents will be permitted to sleep over. 4. No sexual contact will be allowed during this party. 5. Alyssa M. Turney will not be permitted to leave the premises with anyone other than her father, Michael R. Turney. 6. The following people will not be at this party. And then my father lists four of Alyssa's classmates. He ends the contract with, I have read the following above information and agree to these conditions to protect the general health and welfare of Alyssa M. Turney, the daughter of Michael R. Turney. Like Charity mentioned earlier, Alyssa and her got around our father's surveillance by writing each other letters. And while it appears that Alyssa didn't keep any of these letters in fear of our father discovering them, Charity did. This one is from Alyssa to Charity and dated October 26, 1999, making Alyssa only 15 at this time. Hey Charity, yesterday me and my dad got in a big fight. He told me if I didn't want to live here to pack my shit and leave. I was like, I don't have anywhere to go. He was giving me a huge lecture about how much of a dickhead my brother is, when my dad's the dickhead. How's your day? Mine sucks. My dad wouldn't even talk to me this morning. He said he doesn't know why he even takes me to school anymore. Love always, Alyssa. Although I tried my best to hide from any confrontation between Alyssa and my father, even I remember their relationship being like a roller coaster. One day they were fine, one day it was all-out war. And Charity remembers it, too. That was um, one of the things that really stood out for me over the years that I remember pretty clearly. Um, How in in one breath, you know, she would tell me these things that were going on and the ways that he would make her feel. And, you know, it would be really terrible. Like, you know, I would just feel so awful for her. And um, in the next breath, She would be like, we're going to Disneyland, you know, my dad's so cool, he's so awesome, you know, do you want anything? He'll let me get anything, he always lets me get anything, anything I want. And then in the next breath again, it'll be like, oh God, you know, he just, he thinks I'm so stupid. And, you know, he just doesn't think I can do anything. And then in the next breath, we're going to the mall today, you know, Yeah. and I think I'm going to get X, Y, and Z, and, you know, my dad's so awesome. And as always, it gets worse. In another letter from Alyssa to Charity, Alyssa discusses what I believe to be our father manipulating her. In the letter, Alyssa references our oldest brother, Rhett, living with us for a few months between 1999 and 2000. Apparently, after he moved out, our father lied to Alyssa and told her that Rhett called Child Protective Services based on something she said. And then, of course, he demanded to know what Alyssa told Rhett. Which, we will find out, was a lot. But, Alyssa knows our father is lying and writes about it in her letter. Hey Charity, what's up? Not much here. Okay, this is what happened. My dad told me that my brother called CPS on us and then he had a tape recording saying all this shit I didn't say. 
So my dad told me to tell him all the stuff me and my brother talked about and did when he was living with us. I told my dad a couple of things we'd talked about. That was on our way home from school. But when we did get home, he said my brother and him talked about all this stuff before he moved out. And something in my head just clicked. My brother would never say anything to my dad about what me and him talked about. So today my dad said he had a meeting to go about this whole thing. And if my brother had the tape, they would take me away from my family. And he said, I'm sorry, I love you if anything does happen. This is all some stupid shit my dad made up. I know it. But he was also saying, if he clears all this up for me, what am I going to do to repay him? He said that they had three things that my brother had on tape, but he couldn't remember all three. That's so not like my dad. He would remember everything. He said that my brother told him that me, my dad, and my sister all sleep in my dad's bed at night. That's so not true. I sleep in my bed every night. My brother wouldn't say that about me. I know him too well. So that's my whole bullshit story that sucks real ass. Don't tell anyone, please. Love, Alyssa. And Charity? Best friends forever. I'm pretty sure I know exactly what our father was afraid of Alyssa telling our brother Rhett. On May 19th, 2000, the last day of Alyssa's sophomore year in high school, our father and Alyssa were driving alone in North Phoenix. And like our father had done with our mother and his ex-girlfriend, he exited the freeway and pulled into an isolated desert area. And then, our father attempted to sexually assault Alyssa. And as it turns out, Alyssa did tell our brother Rhett. His interview with the police reads, Rhett was asked about Alyssa's reaction or behavior when she divulged the May 2000 incident. Alyssa remained calm, but informed Rhett that she had fled from the truck upon returning home. Alyssa may have contacted a male neighbor who asked if everything was okay. According to Rhett, Michael Roy Turney went over to Alyssa and the neighbor and intimidated the two of them. Alyssa went home with Michael Roy Turney. The neighbor has not been identified. Rhett added that, quote, I get a shiver up my spine sometimes because I've seen him fight some of the biggest men in the world. Rhett was asked if his father scares him, and Rhett replied, quote, Oh yes, definitely, 100%. When Alyssa and our father returned home, Alyssa demanded to go live with our brother Mike for the summer. And despite our father's tight grasp on her, he let her go. But before he did, he made her sign the following contract dated for the same day as the incident. It reads, I, Alyssa Turney, of my own free will and without promise of favor and or under threat of any kind, do swear that the following is the truth an absolute truth about the following. 1. My father, Mike Turney, has never physically or sexually abused me at any time. 2. My father, Mike Turney, has never given me or allowed me to use marijuana. 3. My father, Mike Turney, has never given me or allowed me to use any drugs not prescribed to me by a doctor. 4. My father, Mike Turney, has never allowed me to physically or sexually abuse my younger sister, Sarah Turney. 5. I have never engaged in any sexual intercourse. 6. I have never engaged in any bisexual activities. 7. I have never engaged in sexual activities with any person younger than me. 8. I have never taken LSD. 9. 
9. I have never taken cocaine. 10. I have never engaged in oral sex. 11. I have never taken any street drug that is illegal. 12. I have never seen my father sexually or physically abuse my sister, Sarah Turney. 13. I have never seen my father, Mike Turney, physically or sexually abuse any of his children. 14. My father, Mike Turney, has never given me anything to hide my use of marijuana. 15. My father, Mike Turney, took immediate action to stop me from having and or using marijuana when he discovered it. 16. My father, Mike Turney, has discouraged and counseled me not to engage in any sexual activities with any person underage again. I swear the following is the truth and do so of my own free will, this of 519, the year of 2000. And it is signed, Alyssa Turney. With the contract signed, Alyssa was off to live with our brother Mike for the summer. But this story is just getting started. When I saw all of the documents related to my father's reaction to this incident, I was stunned. And the following series of events can only be described as our father fully freaking out about this situation and the possibility of him being in trouble for what he did to Alyssa. I'm about to read a lot of police documents, but pay attention because each item I'm about to present includes conflicting details presented by our father, as well as his very inappropriate reactions to this incident. I put these in chronological order so you can see his story evolve as he retells the story of why his daughter isn't at home. Three days after the incident and after having Alyssa sign that contract on May 22nd, 2000, $2,000 is withdrawn from Alyssa's bank account, and the slip is signed by our father. And on the same day, our father makes a call to Child Protective Services. Quote, Alyssa Turney, 16, and Sarah Turney, 11, live with their father, Michael Turney. Michael is the adoptive father of Alyssa and biological father of Sarah. Barbara Turney, the biological mother of both girls, died in 1993. Alyssa and father got into an argument on May 19th, 2000, because she wanted to go to a party, and father would not allow it. Alyssa threatened father, saying she would call CPS and say father was molesting her if he did not allow her to attend the party. Alyssa has also argued about wanting to get her tongue pierced, to get a tattoo, and to drive the family car. Alyssa told father she hates the lifestyle that he and Sarah lead, because they are boring. Mike Turney would like Alyssa's threats to call CPS noted. No report is taken as there is no allegation of abuse or neglect. And the following day, on May 23, 2000, our father drafts up another contract. Quote, This is an apparent two-page notarized contract which is dated 523-2000. It is signed by Michael Turney, Michael Seth Turney, and a public notary. There is a line for Alyssa Turney to sign, but the words, no identification, are handwritten on that line. There appear to be 13 points, which all have the initials A-T signed next to each one. The following is the contract. This is an agreement entered between Michael R. Turney, the current legal guardian of Alyssa M. Turney, and Alyssa M. Turney, in order to transfer temporary guardianship of Alyssa M. Turney to Michael Seth Turney for the specified time in the temporary guardianship of minor child. 
It is further agreed that all parties enter into this agreement of free will with the understanding of the following issues. 1. That Alyssa M. Turney is incorrigible and has refused to return home under the direct authority of her parent, Michael R. Turney. 2. That Michael S. Turney has agreed to assume temporary custody of Alyssa M. Turney to allow her time to be away from her father and sister, whereupon she will follow any and all instructions given by Michael S. Turney or forfeit this privilege. 3. That it is understood at this time that her reasons for not returning to the home of her father, Michael R. Turney, immediately are not for any of the following. A. Physical abuse. B. Alcohol abuse. C. Drug abuse. D. Sexual abuse. E. Neglect. F. Lack of proper housing. G. Lack of food. H. Lack of clean housing. I. Physical abuse of her sister, Sarah Turney. J. Sexual abuse of her sister, Sarah Turney. 4. That prior to returning to her home, she will specify to Michael R. Turney the specific reasons why she chose not to return home, but to go with Michael S. Turney, her brother, on May 19, 2000. 5. That she will apologize to her father and sister for her wrongful conduct and insults directed at them. 6. That she will never again use physical force on her sister, Sarah Turney. 7. That she will follow any and all instructions by her father, Michael R. Turney. 8. That she will no longer allow any other friend's parents to influence her to leave home to live with them. 9. That she will never use marijuana again while living with her father, Michael R. Turney. 10. That she will never bring a male friend into the home of her father, Michael R. Turney, without his consent. 11. That she will discontinue any bisexual ideologies and or acts while living with her father, Michael R. Turney. 12. That any and all male friends she associates with in an exchange of any sort of affection between a boyfriend-slash-girlfriend relationship will be as old in age as she and or older, but not older than 18 years old. 13. That I, Alyssa, will enter a drug rehab program and or outpatient counseling for the same. Alyssa M. Turney will further agree to not harass, intimidate, or threaten Michael R. Turney and Sarah E. Turney and or intervene with the parental rights of Michael R. Turney to educate and raise his daughter, Sarah E. Turney. It is completely understood by Alyssa M. Turney and Michael S. Turney that Michael R. Turney, the father, remains the guardian of Alyssa M. Turney and that he may revoke any and all temporary arrangements at any time for any reason, specifically should Alyssa M. Turney refuse to follow all instructions given by Michael S. Turney and or any violation of the law, whereupon she will be surrendered into the custody of the state of Arizona, Maricopa County Juvenile Authorities, as being incorrigible. And on May 27th, with Alyssa having been gone just about a week, our father writes Alyssa a letter. The police report reviewing this letter reads, This is a letter from Michael R. Turney to Alyssa, dated May 27, 2000. It references the contract described above. It is three pages in length and talks about Michael's frustration with Alyssa. He writes, I believe our agreement covered most of the problems we have had with you since you started high school. If you do not love me, I will not and cannot make you. If you choose not to respect me, I cannot and will not make you. However, according to the laws in the state of Arizona, I remain responsible and accountable for your well-being and safety, as well as any wrongful acts you commit. 
We have discussed this many times since last year's marijuana incident when you brought it into our home, which is something none of your four brothers ever did. In spite of that, we have had to endure many other drug-related problems, as well as those things you have initialed. You talked about the point when I told you I loved you and you did not respond with I love you. What is your point in wanting to emancipate or do your own thing, such as pierce and or tattoo all these different parts of your body to include your tongue? Take 17-year-old men into your room when I'm not home? Attempt to get your younger sister to do marijuana? Just because Charity's dad pierced his tongue or your brother Mike got tattoos when they were adults and you saw another student with them does not make it right for you at the age of 16. You only have less than two years before you turn 18. Then we can go our separate ways, just as John and I did. He further writes, I apologize for working you too hard this year and some of the methods I used to motivate you to do what you needed to do or not to do. Parents are not always right, and the world has never operated according to me. I believe you called them manipulation or mind games. One day, you may have children where you will be forced to compete with other adults for your children's love, safety, and well-being, just as I have had to against John and Charity's family. All parents use manipulation and mind games with their children. I am so sorry that you were afraid of me. I was attempting to maintain parental control without using physical force. It breaks my heart to think that this is what has happened. However, you have ventured into areas of life that are very wrong and or illegal. This will lead to ruin your life in the future. Near the end of the letter, Mike writes, I cannot promise you that anything will change when you come home unless you are willing to compromise on the same, except those things you read and initialed. You won't be made to apologize to Sarah or I if it causes you too much of a problem. I pray we do not have to turn to the authorities to resolve personal family problems, as John did. That will endanger you and Sarah's freedoms and right to live in our home. The authorities do not always make decisions that are best for everyone involved. I promise that I will not allow coercion to influence my decisions like it did in 1993 through 1996 by what John did. This episode of Voices for Justice is sponsored by June's Journey. Everyone loves a good mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. In this game, you step into the role as June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of your sister's murder. You engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. I've been playing June's Journey for a long time. And yes, I love uncovering hidden objects in these really fun scenes, but I also like putting together the pieces of this puzzle. I've said it before and I'll say it again, one of my favorite parts of playing June's Journey is chatting and playing with or against, if I'm honest, usually I like playing against other players by joining a detective club. And if that's not enough for you, you can join a detective league to put your skills to the test. I am also deep into building my island. And I mean deep, you guys. I've been playing for a very long time and it's just really fun to see it grow. I usually find myself playing on little breaks during the day or at night before I go to bed. If you like games, if you like solving mysteries, I really think you're gonna like June's Journey. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode of Voices for Justice is sponsored by Quince. Quince has transformed how I shop. I'm not gonna lie, I don't love paying extravagant prices for things that don't last. 
But imagine upgrading your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. They offer things like a 100% Mongolian cashmere sweater for $50, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. And the best part is all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Basically what they do is partner with the top factories. That cuts out the cost of the middleman. That way they can pass on the savings to us. And what I really love is that Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I have a ton of stuff from Quince. Right now I'm really on a mission to just have some great basics in my closet. So I picked up a lot of t-shirts, some tank tops, and I definitely got a 100% mulberry silk pillowcase. It is absolutely worth it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com justice for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash justice to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash justice. And two days later, on May 29th, our father writes another letter, this time to Child Protective Services. To whom it may concern, from 1993 until 1996, John Turney, my adopted son, used the threat of and or actual false accusations through his out-of-state aunts to coerce and threaten me into allowing him to engage in illegal activities, such as drinking, drugs, and or sexual acts. He was eventually banned from our home and given limited interaction with his sister, Alyssa Turney, due to these acts. On May 19, 2000, Alyssa learned that John Turney had moved into the apartment with my son, Michael S. Turney, of which I did not learn until after I had agreed to allow Alyssa to stay with him. This was following her explosive and unwarranted behavior on the evening of May 19, 2000. Alyssa is under a special education program called IEP for her learning disorders at Barry Goldwater High School. It has been a very difficult and hard year for both of us due to her constant need for academic assistance and parental guidance. Her parental guidance is constant, requiring continuous monitoring both at home and school with limitations on unsupervised activities. She continues to use any drug she can get, including my prescription drugs, when I fail to lock them up. We have had five drug incidents this year. She has continuously used physical force on her younger sister, Sarah, whenever Sarah failed or refused to do as she was told, or thought Sarah would tell me about her bringing marijuana into my home, or two 17-year-old men, when I was not home, taking them into her locked bedroom. All of this has caused Sarah a great deal of problems. Alyssa has been led to believe that she has the right to emancipate, which is the exact thing her brother did when he was 16. But when I refused, he began using his aunts and or CPS as a threat of losing my daughters to get what he wanted. Alyssa is presently under the temporary custody of my son, Michael S. Turney, until June 1st, 2000, or until I can attempt to get her into a drug rehab and or counseling program and to voluntarily come home and abide by the rules. The events of May 19, 2000 remain confusing, except Alyssa threatening me with CPS in an attempt to get me to give her my truck, all because I was refusing to let her go with her friend's family to Rocky Point, Mexico. This friend is her bisexual partner, according to Alyssa, who has been demanding sexual freedom and right of choice, even though she admits that she is not lesbian or gay. 
One of our most recent disputes pertains to her involvement with 7th grade boys pertaining to going out with them, which she admits to kissing and acts of petting. I contacted the City of Phoenix Police Department, but they advised me that I could file an incorrigible complaint where they would bring her home, but she would not be put into custody for the same. On May 19, 2000, I was forced to physically take my weapon and truck keys back from Alyssa in the middle of the street, but was unable to bring her back into my home. Neighbors assisted me to keep Alyssa safe until my son, Michael S. Turney, arrived, who she agreed to go with. I'm not certain what drugs Alyssa has used, but was attempting to have her take a drug test. She was continuing to refuse. Having been a police officer and living in the 1960s, I have witnessed people on hallucinogenic drugs. She was extremely paranoid and acting very emotional, which would not be something very unusual for her, but she was also talking about a frog on our doorstep and how it was after her. While I was removing it, she locked the front door and got the gun in the case. After I talked her into letting me in, I was attempting to get her to go to the hospital with me, which is when she freaked out running into the street. Since she has been with her brother, she has told me I just need time off. I gave her several days, then had her and my son read and agree to the current events, as well as the temporary custody documents. On May 27, 2000, I went to my son's apartment to check on her welfare, only to witness her outside the apartment with an unidentified male sharing a burning cigarette-type object. When I contacted Alyssa, who had requested not to talk to me for this period of time because she needed time off, she told me that she wanted her emancipation or she would call CPS. I asked her what she intended to tell CPS, and she told me there were many things, like a dirty house, my forcing her to stay at home and not allowing her to date, being bisexual, and doing things with her friends and other things if she had to. Although I know I have done nothing wrong, I remain afraid for Sarah and her right and need for me as her only living parent. I have been battling Alyssa over her demands to be emancipated. I have called every juvenile agency and the police departments to learn that this is not possible in the state of Arizona. She can leave home, but I remain responsible. And should she get hurt or pregnant while I let her live away from me, I am civilly responsible and could be investigated for neglect, which could affect her sister's right of remaining with me. And it seems that our father just could not wait for a response to that letter, because the next day, on May 30th, he calls CPS again. The record reads, Father sent Alyssa to live with her brother after Alyssa and father got into an argument on 5-19-2000. Alyssa threatened that she would call CPS if her father did not give her a truck. Alyssa had also argued about wanting to get her tongue pierced to get a tattoo and drive the family car. Alyssa is now saying that she is bisexual and she can date whomever she wants. Alyssa has told father that she hates the lifestyle he and Sarah lead because they are boring. Alyssa wants to be emancipated. Alyssa threatened to call CPS if father does not emancipate her. Alyssa has a learning disability and is unable to comprehend that Arizona does not have emancipation. Mike Turney would like Alyssa's threats to call CPS noted. No report taken as there is no allegation of abuse or neglect. Alyssa has a learning disorder. Alyssa uses marijuana and mushrooms. If these seven insane different reactions were not enough, I'm going to read some transcripts of phone calls our father made about Alyssa. First, to our brother Mike. This is the one that Alyssa would be living with at this time. The police report reads, 
Side A has a series of recorded incoming and outgoing phone calls from the attorney household. Context of the calls indicate they are circa May 2000, when Alyssa temporarily moved in with her brothers, John and Mike. The tape opens with Mike Turney calling an unknown female named Michelle. Mike wants to speak with John's ex-girlfriend, Kayla. From this conversation, Mike learns that John has moved in with his other son, Michael Seth. This fact seems to upset Mike, and the next conversation recorded is an incoming phone call from Michael Seth Turney to Michael Roy Turney. This conversation deals with Alyssa in depth, and Michael Roy Turney appears to be emotionally agitated. The following is a transcript of the conversation as I heard it. Hello, Dad? Hey, son. Oh, I knew you was at work. Hate to call you. That's all right. What's up? You got Brandon's number? Uh, you know what? Their number got turned off. There's no way to get a hold of Brandon? Not right now. Why? What's up? I just need to talk to him, see what's going on with him and stuff, and, uh, strangely enough, I just got a call from Kayla. Kayla? Yeah. About what? Nothing. She was just calling to see how I was doing, see how the girls were doing, see what was going on, and to warn me about something. Like what? Apparently, Alyssa's had some things in her mind here for a while. What's going on, Michael? You got any idea what's going on, Mike? No, Dad. Nothing's going on. I'm getting... What is this? Some kind of conspiracy again? With John and Alyssa? Never mind. You're at work. I didn't call. Because I don't like this, Mike. This sucks. All I want to do is... If I'm truly... If I'm serious about this, Mike, will you help me, please? All I want to do is get it set up so I can sign Alyssa over to John. That's what she wants. That's what she wants. But they're not getting my truck. Don't sign her over to him, Dad. What's that? Just sign her over to me, Dad. Mike, you don't want to be involved with this. Please listen to me. You don't. Let me give her to John. You can stand there and watch over John, but Mike, please listen to me for once in your life about something. I'm dead serious, Mike. You don't understand what's going on. It's too late to stop it. The moment I went in and allowed Alyssa to go with you, the moment she got involved with John, it's too late, and she'll conspire against you, so you better cover your back. The thing is, I'd just as soon sign her over, with stipulations that don't come back to bother me and Sarah. I think John will agree to that in a heartbeat. He would get the 560 bucks a month for Alyssa. That's fine. He could just take all that stuff, take all of her belongings, and go with it. I just don't want to be a part of it anymore, Mike. None of this is working. None of this is making sense to me. It's all looking at, why would Kayla call me? Why did she tell me John's been gone for two months? Dad, that's probably because he's been on and off living with his buddy, with uh, Kayla's cousin. Whose cousin? What's his name? She's living with his cousin? No, John was living with Kayla's cousin, and now he just got back to your place? John's been with me for a while, like I said, on and off. Oh, he just now got to your place? No, he's been here. And how long? When did Alyssa find that out? Friday, right? No, no, Alyssa didn't tell me anything about John being there at all, because I told her that she does better without the influence of John, and she was doing a lot better. Anyway, forget all the rest of the stuff, Mike. Forget my paranoia. Forget, because things don't make any sense at all. I'm just asking John if he will allow to adopt Alyssa. We'll go down there, I'll get my parental rights, wave them all away, but they're going to sign an agreement with me. A stipulation in there that Alyssa has not been physically abused, sexually abused, she's not been mistreated in any way, and when they sign that, he's got her. And I've never given her any drugs. I wouldn't. I wouldn't condone drugs. I've never given her marijuana. I've never allowed her to smoke marijuana. But she brought it into my house. Do you understand the stipulations, Mike? Yeah, Dad. I don't want Sarah bothered, okay? I want to let you know something. I've just, you know, I've been getting a hold of James because James said he would take care of Sarah in a heartbeat. But he didn't want to take care of Alyssa. 
You're right in the middle of it. I'm telling you, son, because I love you. You better watch it real close. Please. I've dealt with both of these people and I've tried to tell you, but you don't believe me half the time. I've tried to tell you what's been going on and you don't believe me. I don't care anymore. All I care about is Sarah, okay? There's too many things that went on, Mike, where Alyssa freaked out. Believe me. I just went over there and got a statement from the guy across the street, what Alyssa told him, because he has a daughter that's the same way. I've got two alternatives, Mike. Please don't discuss this with John or Alyssa. This is... You're my son. Keep it between me and you. I can either go down tomorrow and sign her in as incorrigible, and they'll take her to jail to cover my ass, or we can get this agreement signed up and get her out of here. It's going to break Sarah's heart. And then I'm moving to Mexico. I've got the money, and I'm leaving, taking Sarah far away from this trash. She's not that kind of kid. You understand that, Mike? Yeah, Dad. Made up my mind, because this kind of shit is going to get ugly and nasty real quick. Let them know right up front when this is brought up that they're not getting my truck. They can threaten me all they want because I ain't done nothing wrong. Unless you've seen something. Have you seen something, Mike? Seen what? Any abuses of Alyssa? Not that I know of, Dad. Do you mean that sincerely, Mike? What's that? Do you mean that sincerely? I haven't seen anything, Dad. I haven't. Other than the screaming and yelling at her. You've seen a lot of that, haven't you? Oh, yeah. All right, whether you agree with how to do it or whatever, that's fine. I just needed it to be done because you don't understand all the circumstances. You don't know. I just found some pictures. Just disgust me. I'm not going to discuss it with you because I'm going down tomorrow to cover me and Sarah's ass. In the meantime, you have a conference with John. Pull him off to the side. Alyssa wants this anyway. That way she can get tattoos and ear piercings, eyes, no piercing, whatever. No, Dad, that's not going to happen. Well, then you stop it. I will, Dad. That's why you aren't going to sign her over to John. Mike, please listen to me. Dad, no, I'm listening to you, Dad, but if you sign her over to John, you're just signing off to just... to become nothing. Because John's a fuck-up, okay, Dad? And that's it. That's... I mean, it's fine, Dad. Mike, would you please listen to me? Once. What are you going to do if Alyssa accuses you of molesting her? What defense are you going to give him, Mike? Because there you're alone with her, and you're telling her, I'll kick your ass. You're not going to get your fucking way. I believe you. We've had these actual discussions. You're not getting your tongue pierced because Charity's dad has his tongue pierced. And if he has it pierced, that's why I wanted to curtail her away from these people, because they're just feeding her marijuana. I know what's going on. And Charity? I just found the pictures, Mike. You want to see him? Sarah found him, for God's sakes. Alyssa had him stashed in a fucking bag. Alyssa and Charity standing like you would kiss a girl, kissing each other's mouth. Mike, it's fucking disgusting. I'm trying to tell you, Mike, supervise all that you want because I know you're a good man and want to do this because you love your sister and stuff. I'm just telling you, you don't understand everything here, Mike. If you need to know this, if you can work back through this and just get John control over stuff like that, just let her go, Mike, because she's going to do it anyway. You can't stop her. You think you're as good as I am, Mike? No, Dad. I've done everything, but Christ, did she tell you what the quad was about? Sarah didn't tell you, and if I want to spend money on it? And that's what, if I got her the quad, she would stop doing drugs. And that's the actual deal we made. And Friday, she was demanding that fucking truck. Now there's more demands. I'm telling you something. Please listen to me, Mike. If you've ever trusted me on anything, just let John take her. Please. You stay there with him, Mike. Do what you can. But please cover your ass, okay? You ain't like me, Mike. You're not as paranoid as I am. I got shit to cover my ass to a certain extent. I had her talk to six different people, including Dr. Matson, to discuss whether or not I had sexually abused her in any way, all of which she told these people, no, I got documents to prove it, because I know sooner or later Alyssa was going to do this. She hasn't done it yet, right? But she's going to do it sooner or later. John will egg her on. John thinks I owe him money. I don't owe him nothing, Mike. Nope. All right, Dad. 
You gotta go. She hasn't made these accusations yet, has she? Not that I know of, Dad. I got an interesting phone call a few minutes ago. Mike, you gotta go back to work, but I'm telling you, please do this nonchalantly. Say, John, I think it might be better if you took custody of Alyssa. Then you stay there with him, Mike, and you watch best you can, because if you don't do what she says, Mike, she will accuse you in order to get it. She's already threatened me a dozen times, and I have never backed down yet, Mike. That's what got her through school and kept her from getting in all kinds of trouble. You need to sit down and talk with him, Mike, and see what the fuck I got before you make a judgment on this thing. You don't understand, Michael, how bad this thing's been going, and I push her too hard. If we can do this thing smoothly, transfer over to John, there's no way to save her now. There's no way. I don't think she can do next year's high school. Please listen to me. Please. I've got nothing to hide, Mike. If not, I've got to go down. I don't want Alyssa to go in the system, because then she stands no chance, okay? I've already talked to a lawyer. He told me exactly what to do and how to cover it. I gave him $5,000 because I'm covering Sarah's ass and mine. I'm not losing Sarah over this shit. Not with those two fucking assholes. They conspired against me. Alyssa was involved in that conspiracy too with CPS Mike years ago. Trust me, she wanted to help John. All right, Dad. Well, I'll give you a call tomorrow. I gotta get back to work, okay? I'm sorry. All right, I love you. Would you help me get this paperwork out, please? I'll figure something out, Dad. You and James take care of Sarah. Trust me, Mike. Alyssa's not worth saving. Trust me, she's not. You're gonna get sick when you see the shit she's been doing, and she'll do it in front of you, eventually or around you. Please listen to me. All right, Dad, I just gotta... just... the supervisor's walking by. Okay, I'm sorry, I love you. Love you, too. Tell him it was an emergency. I was sick. All right, whatever. Okay? Bye. The next recorded conversation is Mike calling the Phoenix Police Department and speaking to a dispatcher. The following is a transcript of the conversation as I heard it. Phoenix Police Department, this is Tammy. Can I help you? Yes, ma'am. Uh, is there anybody I can speak to in reference to juvenile problems when you have a problem with a juvenile with your kids? I'm confused. Anybody where? I mean, on duty or tomorrow morning would they be in? I've got a problem with a daughter. I mean, I've had quite a few problems with her. Do you just want to talk to somebody or do you want somebody out to your home? Well, I don't really want to file a report. She's, uh, she's with my other sons, you know. She's safe and secure, and that's what means the most to me. But I have concerns about other stuff that's been going on for quite a while, and I don't know who to go to. Um, do we have a juvenile people you can call at Maricopa County or something? We used to have it about 20 years ago if a child was just getting to where you couldn't control them anymore. They have a place called Juvenile Family Crisis Unit, sir. Wait, let me get my pen. I'm sorry, it sounds like the one I'm looking for. You know... It sounds like I'm whining, but there's such a thing as parent abuse, you know. There is. Very much so. Well, you got a kid that's got a problem. We've been dealing with drugs now, on and off. It's been like most stupid parents, you know. Got rid of it, covered it up, tried to do this or that. It just keeps occurring. Schools and problems. This kid has a learning disorder. You know, I've just gotten to a point. This last thing, and I'm not just going to sit here and have somebody try to extort things out of me. I mean, when I went through this with her older brother... Right after their mother died, and CPS came to my house four times. Of course they found nothing, because there wasn't anything to find. And, uh, it was all unfounded. But it's not very comfortable feeling when this stuff starts up again, because somebody wants to get over and get tattoos, get their tongue pierced, go to drug parties, and whatever, have sex with some 50-year-old guy or whatever the hell it is. You say no, and I think it's kind of wrong to be threatened with this kind of garbage. So, whatever. Anyway, I just need somebody to talk to. But I'm 52 years old. I still got an 11-year-old, and one just turned 16. But there's a lot of stuff. <sighs> Being an ex-deputy sheriff that I know, 
Still has to be illegal what she's been doing, and I've been trying to talk to her and get her to go to a counselor and all that. But what's, what do they call it? The sexual identity thing. She thinks she's bisexual or something. And I told her, well, you gotta go to counseling. Well, sir, I'm sure it's hard to be a girl without a mom when you get to that age. Well, I mean, it is to a certain extent, but this kid, the youngest one misses her because she was only four years of age. So this one's had, I mean, I've confronted teachers, I got you a psychiatrist, let her talk to, you know, she went to counseling and all that after her mother died because I was concerned, only to find out that she was, what do you call it? When the schools say, um, the school said she had a learning disability. Really? That's unusual for girls to have it. It is. It's very unusual. But this, when I finally got to the school to test her, she's got one of the lowest scores. Now, this is what the man said. I didn't, they wouldn't even let me look at him, but she's got one of the lowest scores in mathematics the guy said he'd ever seen. She's a sophomore now, and uh, they reduced the Ames test after I threw a fit, down to where, if she took it, it was at the fifth grade math level. And I've worked with her and tutored her, but it's been a tough year. I've had to force her to, to do things. It's hard with these children, because they don't, You know, she doesn't really understand. I don't think she's evil by nature. But, you know, when when a kid keeps doing things, marijuana is still a felony. Stealing prescription drugs, getting high and stuff. She's got a younger sister who's a good kid. She doesn't want to cause trouble. She's a smart kid. Um, You know, and you keep looking at this stuff and you keep begging. You keep doing these things for her. But the last thing she pulled on me and this stuff and everything. I'm just at the end of my rope now. I have a depressive disorder, it was a work-related, has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that I bit off more than I could chew with the union thing. You know, I've been, my first time, I raised these three boys and my wife ran off. You know, I'm not an angel or a saint, but I'm not one to break the law, you know, just beating tickets, that's all I've got. Uh, you gotta ask yourself, when's it time to go get help? I don't want her to go into the system. I mean, it's just... Sir, I don't know what I want to give you, but there's this hotline, it's gonna be open Monday through Friday... Yeah, that's fine, but it used to be, uh, I'm not going to call tonight. No, it's just, I'm trying to feel things out here, but it used to be in the state that it was against the law to be incorrigible. Is that changed? Against the law to be incorrigible? Yeah. I know they go through the file in court, some papers, they have to go through different programs. I, I know that happens. Oh, well, it was that we were taught, you know, in, in one of the two states that was challenged several times by this, Arizona Supreme Court and stuff, you know, they still upheld it. This is a state where a child becomes incorrigible under those statutes. Situation to parent, you know, where they go to a facility, a parent has to put in a certain amount of money. Sir, I don't I don't know anything about that. Okay, well, I'm sorry. Anyway, do you have that number? No, that's okay. I'm just talking off the top of my head. You know, I'm just so stressed out about this. That's all right. Seems like you got a lot to talk about there. I've worked so hard, and I've got, you know, I've got all of our teachers and all these people that'll come forth and say they've never seen a parent like this, you know, one that was so devoted and worked so hard to get this kid through school. All right, sir, um, that number, it's going to be called the Juvenile Family Crisis Unit, okay? It's called what now? Juvenile Family Crisis Unit. Okay. Um, you're not an officer? No. Um, do you want a telephone number? I can give you a telephone number and you can talk to an officer tonight. Well, no, I don't really want to involve the cops at this point. Well, okay, sir, then I suggest you call that number on Monday. But I'm not going to be threatened. I'm an American. Nobody threatens me. I don't like that. She blew up because I wouldn't let her go to a party with a bunch of men. I wouldn't let her pierce her tongue. And what was the other thing? I don't know, some other crap she wanted to do. All right, sir, well, let me let you go, and you go ahead and call that number on Monday and see what they can do. Okay, thanks. You're welcome.
Goodbye. But apparently, our father couldn't wait to call the hotline or was dissatisfied with Tammy's answers because after hanging up with this officer, he calls the Phoenix Police Department again. Phoenix Police Department, this is Patty. How may I help you? Yeah, Patty, is there an officer on duty? In reference to what, sir? Uh, for lack of better terms, a possible incorrigible child that, um... Do you have a question as far as how to handle it, sir, or... Um, yeah, how to handle it, what my rights are. I mean, now the child is safe. Um, it's supposed to be with my father. Oh, excuse me, my father. Um, my 24-year-old son. Okay. I just have concerns. I'm starting to, um, you know, about all the stuff coming down and think about all these things, and all of a sudden you got to thinking, you know, now, wait a minute. I'm still responsible for this person, so, uh... Okay, sir, let me go ahead and transfer you to our information desk where there are officers that can help you. Police information, Officer McDaniel. Yeah, my name is Mike Turney. I was going to wait till the morning to call Juvenile Crisis, but I've been having a lot of trouble with a teenage daughter. Mm-hmm. It's been going on for a while, and everybody has, I guess I'm assuming anyway, the, the drugs and all the other stuff going on. This kid has special education needs, so I'm busting my butt on that kind of stuff. But this last six months has been really, you know, really uncontrollable at times. And, um, yeah, I mean, it blew up on Friday. C can you hang on just a second, officer? Our father then places the officer on hold to accept a call from our brother, Mike. Hello? Hey, uh, Dad? I got stuck at work, sorry. No, 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 that's fine, Mike. I didn't mean to bug you. I just need a straightforward answer because I went over and checked. Um, Mike, is Alyssa over at Charities? No. You're sure of that? She's over at your place? Yeah, Dad. Because no one answered the phone. I, um... They don't answer the phone. Alyssa's not going to answer the phone. She told me she's not going to answer the phone. I'm going to go home in a few minutes. I'll give you a call from the house. Would you please, Mike? I mean, if she's over at Charity's, I, I just think Charity's having that bisexual affair with her. No, Dad, she's not at Charity's. And if she is, nah, you know, I, I thought about it, Mike. And if you're willing to take custody of Alyssa, I'm sorry. I'll just let you do it. But I want you to sign it all over so that the checks go into you and your name and everything else. Is that all right with you? That's fine, Dad. If you can save her until she's 18, that's fine, Mike. I, I can't deal with this anymore. I know, Dad. Okay, and you'll do that for me? I'll help you out, Dad. But you cover your butt, Michael. Please. I will, Dad. Okay, I just want to get this thing over with. But I want to make sure that, that I don't have anything, you know, two or three years down the line. Anyway, I gotta get off here. All right, Daddy. All right, I love you. Give me a call when you get home. All right, Dad. Bye. And then our father goes back to the call with Officer McDaniel. Officer McDaniel? Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, you know, as parents, I, I used to, you know, know some things years ago when I was a deputy sheriff. The old incorrigible and then the other junk. I, I don't know Jack now. End up being a single parent, you know. It just, you know, it never dawned on me until about six months ago when my daughter started making these insinuations, accusations and things, trying to get me to do certain things, which I refused to go along with. I told her, no, 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 this is not going to work. After your mother died, we went through this stuff. CPS came to the house four, four times because of the junk that your brother tried to do. And, you know, I was cleared of all that stuff immediately because, you know, it's just it's not true. You know, there have been so many arguments from her, especially in this last six piercing of tongues. And, you know, I just I don't know if you're familiar with this stuff. Maybe you got kids. No, don't have kids. But I know what you're talking about. It's just endless, the kind of stuff. You know, I've tried to keep it because it would be nobody wants the authorities to get involved. But this, the last one the other night, it's just, first off, I'm still going from shock because this kid has a real learning disorder. There's no question. 
But to demand my brand new Dodge truck and then make threats and say, why don't I call CPS? And then, well, go ahead and call him. What's the, what are you going to do? Have him come see the house? We've been through this before. What are you talking about now? And she said, well, I want to drive a truck next year. So anyway, I'm curious about, you know, we had this whole mess where I'd, I'd have prescription drugs in the house. She got into those, you know, there was a parent involved and some other kid. We discussed it and we decided it's better to break off the relationship because, you know, again, it was my medication and my stupidity for not having it locked up. But now this kid, you know, that doesn't read very well, she doesn't understand it unless someone told her what it was. Ah, it doesn't make any difference, you know. I'm looking at something we used to call incorrigible years ago. Has that changed? No, we've still got it. This kid here, she's got disorders in mathematics, reading, and writing. There's not much left after that, you know. But the school's been good. We've had some battles with the state, you know, got her IEPs all set up and worked out with the schools, but this bisexual thing that keeps coming up. You know, some teachers have made accusations in junior high. Then the other day, my kids all know that I put a tape recorder on my phone, okay? And I'll always have it running. But they know I do that, you know, they're all aware of it. And those conversations you really don't want to hear comes up. You know, and she's talking, she's telling some 13-year-old boy, you know, and she's 16, telling him that she's bisexual. And I'm thinking, oh, God. So when you're trying to find out about this and you're telling her, you know, not under my roof, darling, no booze, no drugs. And if you're going to do that, you know, then you're going to have to find another place to live. Is that cruel? Is it being cruel? You know, is that being mean? Is that too... See, I don't know. Our modern society is so screwed up with all this crap coming down. But, you know, I've got a gay son. And he never did anything whatsoever to think that he'd be bad about it. He's very modest about what he does. And I don't agree with it because I believe in God and Jesus Christ. And that's my business. You know, I've been put through the gamut with all this. The female thing, I feel like it's just totally out of control. I got her through two years of high school. But this last fit, going over the truck... Then she wanted to go to some party with a bunch of males that are 18 and over, you know, and I found out about that and cut it short because they sent her directions and they wanted her to set up with some guy. But this bisexual thing, I mean, isn't that against the law for somebody to be involved with that kind of stuff underage? Nope. Is that considered incorrigible? Not really. Not really. Uh, okay. You know, especially not, not in today's society, sir. That's right. That I mean, that's the thing that's bugging me, because I didn't know. I thought if they involved themselves, you know, it, isn't that, like, kind of illegal? No. You Basically, you can't discriminate or hold someone's sexual preference against them anymore. Ah, well, everybody does it. That, you know, never mind. That's another issue. Yep, I hear ya. You know, they wouldn't hire my one son out in Tempe because he was gay, and I helped him on that one, you know. I, I'm good at discrimination stuff. Well, you know, the labor laws, that's what I do. But the incorrigible thing, that's what's got me worried, you know, this threat that she's done something in the past. It's not the first time she's come up and stood her ground, you know, and I said, call him. I ain't got nothing. You're full of it. I got two daughters sitting here and it just don't happen. You know, being a single parent and a male, that old stepfather syndrome, every stepfather molest every child crap. That's a crock of shit. You know, I'm letting her stay with her brother and uh, I've got this one family with um. I think she's been having a bisexual affair with this other girl. Which, you know, unfortunately, uh, we were moving her bed because, you know, I bought her a new bed and stuff. You know, I, I bought them both new beds. Um, and there were these little pictures, you know, not lewd pictures, you know, but girls kissing and, uh, you know, that kind of junk. So I'm just wondering, where do I stand in order to protect myself from my daughter? Because, you know, I, I got nothing to fear from CPS. But, you know, sir, what you could do is call the Juvenile Crisis Center. Talk to one of the counselors there. Oh, yeah, they, they, they gave me the... Um, because they can offer you a hell of a lot more options than I can to deal with this, sir. 
I don't want to throw it into a criminal act if I can. You know, the system make a mess out of her more than she already is. You know, just hang on a second. Uh, losing my phone. This is a, it, um, is that the juvenile crisis center? I want to do this thing. You know, I'm thinking about it. I got myself relaxed on this thing because one thing's about to start in the system and it's going to affect the other child. You know, uh, what was that number again? That's the main number, sir. 35th Avenue in Durango. That That's where it's at. Okay. Yeah. Um, Perfect. Sir, just ask to speak to one of the counselors. They're really good at that, and they'll help you out. It, is that it? I mean, so basically the bisexual thing is not a crime? Nope. If she uh runs off and doesn't come home or does drugs, that's a different story. Uh, oh, okay, right. And because uh, those can all be documented and validated. Just hang on to your reports, sir. So uh, how do they prove them? Are they going to blood test her or urine test her or what? Well, there again, sir. That's why I don't know. That's why you need to speak with them. Oh, oh, okay, sorry, um, yeah. Yes, sir, we're the police. We don't handle any of that stuff. You see, uh, I don't usually go to the cops. It's just this last time she's got me freaked out so bad, you know, and she says I'm too strict on her, and how old is she, sir, 16? Yeah, 16. Well, sir, basically, you know, it's just growing pains. It's a generation thing. Every generation goes through it. I remember when I was 16, you know? It's just every generation goes through it. Yeah, I mean, it's just that she said she didn't want to be around me anymore. She hates her little sister, and she hates me, and I said, well, maybe you need to live somewhere else then. Sure. I mean, sir, the grass is always greener on the other side. Let her go check it out. Because I've had four before this, you know, and and when it gets this way, I think it's time they leave. You know, the other thing, too, she wanted me to give her a truck. You know, I said, are you serious? Kiss my ass. No way. So anyway, I thought I'd just touch base, you know, because I've never really thought about my rights. I've heard this stuff from her brother before and stuff. You know, she she called her aunts to call CPS four times. They even searched my house once. And I finally went down there and had a talk with them. And I said, listen, you know how this this is ridiculous. You ain't found a damn thing in four trips. And you ain't going to find anything. You talk to my daughters. This is garbage. You know, my wife just died. I don't need this. So they stopped, you know, and it's amazing how our society is. People who take these kids, you know, I've had a lot of problems with the same kid. I knew the woman for about two years, you know, and then her friend, her daughter and my daughter were friends, but they vouched for this one babysitter and, and this woman was giving my daughter pot. And you know, no one in the police would take a complaint on that. Can you believe that? Yep. I just told myself, you know, why can't you take the complaint? Because it's not something you can prove. You know, so I said, that's just terrible. You know, I want to make sure I don't want somebody coming in my door and saying, you know, you got the other one running the streets and you're not taking care of the other one. No, no, sir. They don't do that. Like I said, just call out there tomorrow, talk to one of the counselors and they'll be able to help you. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, officer. I really appreciate it. It appears that the last action our father took about these accusations was on June 1st when our father writes a letter to Alyssa's school to inform them that she will not be returning for the next year. This is a letter dated June 1st, 2000, from Mike Turney to Cheryl Ingram, principal of Barry Goldwater High School. Mike withdraws his request for Alyssa to attend the school, writing, My request is not based on any failure of your staff or meant to discredit the excellent school year that passed. It is based on events and people that Alyssa has arrogantly and defiantly told me about that occurred this past school year. Alyssa chose to use threats of calling CPS with false accusations to get the emancipation she's been demanding all year. This is following her friend Charity's family convincing her that she would be better off living with them. Alyssa has told me about her alleged use of marijuana, sexual acts, both bisexual and opposite sexual, and most recent acts of aggression to intimidate other students on campus. 
This is all because I would not let her date and or go to unsupervised parties. Please note that the special needs of Alyssa do not end with academics. However, she has been convinced by these people that she needs neither and has a right to do all of the above without consequences. Last year, I managed to separate Alyssa from her friend Leanne because they were buying marijuana together on campus. Perhaps my restricting Alyssa to family and or supervised activities has caused this. However, she ran away from home after I intervened with the alcohol, drugs, and sex party she and her friend Charity attempted to deceive me into letting her go to on the last day of school. That night, she went into a hallucinogenic state demanding to go live with her brother. This may have been due to her experimenting with something she called shrooms or mushrooms. However, she's refused to go to all counseling. Later in the letter, Mike writes, Alyssa appears to be more interested with all of the bad things I warned her about that occur on high school campuses, such as drugs, sex, and hanging out with troublemakers. I believe Mrs. McCarthy warned me about three students Alyssa was hanging out with. I failed in discouraging her from one and keeping her away. This student and her parents have convinced Alyssa that I am mean to her and don't appreciate her as they would. This is where I now believe the source of Alyssa's arrogant confession of marijuana usage, sexual activities, and acts of intimidation against other students on campus have been coming from. It is difficult for me to write this letter. I had hoped that by restricting her to her studies and her only friend Charity and their parents, that I could prevent Alyssa from doing such things. It appears the academic area succeeded, but all else failed. Alyssa ran away from home the night of the last day of school because I broke up a drug, alcohol, and adult male party she and her friend Charity had planned to go to. I will be buying a home, either in Flagstaff, Arizona, or out of state, in an attempt to move Alyssa away from all of this, as she has refused any and all counseling and or guidance all year long, as we well know. I have never believed in running away as being the answer, but I have no other answer at this time. The summer would end, and Alyssa would come home to our father. He never signed away his rights, he never fled with me to Mexico, and he never put Alyssa in any type of counseling or moved us away. But instead, Alyssa came home, and things only got so much worse for her. And despite our father clearly panicking over his attempted sexual assault on Alyssa in the desert, it wouldn't be his last attempt. Next time on Voices for Justice. I think that she was, she was gaining her confidence. She was gaining her will to fight back. She was gaining her voice. And he could see that coming. I was like, yes, she's finally gonna come hang out and we can like be wild and crazy because it's graduation. And then we hugged and I said, I love you. She said, I love you. And she turns and walks away. I go the other way. And looking back, I just, I remember feeling like something wasn't right. And that's really, really weird to think that I was one of the last people to see her alive. But if he called before he even picked me up, like, that's huge. Voices for Justice is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Sarah Turney. If you want to learn more about Alyssa's story and how you can help with the case, visit justiceforalyssa.com. And if you love the show, it would really help if you gave me a rating and review in your podcast player. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you next time.
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.